welcome to season two, episode 16 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as a pastor here at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And along with me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He's a missionary to the Gambia in Africa. Patrick, what's going on with you this week? Oh, we're just working on uh, working on a house in Tennessee, uh, doing some renovations to it and, you know, getting it ready for a, a missionary who's going to be retiring from the Gambia uh, in a while and uh, doing some drywall, doing some wiring, doing all that kind of stuff and um, going to be headed out of here and couple of days and uh we'll be going to kentucky for a couple of days and then down to florida uh, for probably a month or so awesome hey you know if you ever in your old age get to teach uh ministry 101 in a college somewhere make sure lesson one is how to use a hammer lesson two is how to drive a big vehicle right lesson three how to fill out uh, government paperwork <laughs> these are the things we need in ministry <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah. Such is life. I, I have someone very close to me who studied, uh, majored in missions and became a missionary. And after he got on the field, he said, man, I wish I had a majored in something else. He said, all the stuff, you know, for missions is great, but I could have got that stuff. There's a bunch of other things I wish I, I knew. I wish I had studied some other stuff that I could use, uh, you know, as a missionary, because there's so many different things that, uh, you guys end up doing. All right. Well, uh, I'm getting ready for Mother's Day here, so uh, I need prayer that I will do a good job making the mother of my children feel appreciated this Sunday, and uh, so that's what's going on in my life right now, and I'm sure in the lives of many others. I'm guessing many of our listeners are in that same predicament, uh, I mean situation. Um, <laughs> that's a perfect way to introduce our topic for today, which is prayer. The title of today's episode will be Why Pray When You Can Worry. And obviously, I've switched those words around on purpose because normally they say, people say, why worry when you can pray, right? But uh, I have found in my life that uh, I tend to use the, the question this way, why pray when I can worry? So Thursday of this week, this, uh, uh, what is this, the second week in uh, May? Thursday of this week was the 70th annual National Day of Prayer, and I attended a local prayer, prayer gathering in our community here in Herlock, and uh, there were probably about, uh, I don't know, 30 people there or something like that. Uh, if they had served food, we could have probably had 60 people, you know, how prayer meetings go. Uh, in fact, we had a men's prayer breakfast over in Delaware this morning, and uh, good food and a good crowd and good time of prayer as well. Prayer is an interesting spiritual reality. Our sovereign God knows all things. So he knows what's in my life. He knows what's in my mind. He knows what's in my heart. He really doesn't need me to tell him so that he knows. Uh, he knows what's best for every circumstance. So he doesn't need me to tell him, you know, give him advice on what needs to be done. He has the power to accomplish his purposes, regardless of my participation or yours or anybody else's, regardless of whether we agree with him or not, 
whether we desire his involvement in our lives or not, uh, whether we consent or not, uh, whether we, you know, even realize or know what he's doing in our lives and around us or not. Uh, he, he can do what he wants to do, whether I exist or whether I don't. So to me, this makes prayer uh, a very interesting spiritual reality. Yeah. Have I said anything about the nature of God in relation to prayer that you want to challenge right here at the beginning? No, I think uh, I think it's a reality that uh, is very difficult for me to understand. Yes, so we're in the same it's, boat. Uh, it's one that when you look, yeah, when you look at the free will of God, and then the free will of man, or I should say the sovereign will of God and the free will of man, you start to go. Why in the world does he want us to pray to begin with? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems to me almost pointless, I guess, from my small human perspective. And yet it's very, very important. And it's a way that God carries out his will on earth. Yeah. That's something that's interesting to me. And this is a little rabbit trail, but God chooses to use certain methods, certain vehicles to accomplish his purposes. Uh, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was kind of a vehicle that was used and the tree of life could have been a vehicle that was used for him to accomplish, you know, something specific uh, in the, in the book of revelation at the end, it says that the, tr the leaves of the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. You know, I, I don't understand what all that, that means just to be honest with you. Um, but I, I believe prayer is that way. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So the implication there is there's things that God is willing to do in our lives that he doesn't do because we don't ask. You know, that seems to be the clear implication of what Jesus said. Um, there does seem to me to be an obvious statement that needs to be made here. As I read the scriptures, I see that God has purposes and plans that he is sure to accomplish no matter what, right? Uh, for example, someday Jesus is coming back. If nobody ever prays for it, <laughs> he's coming back someday, right? That's a promise. Uh, but there are other things that are not going to happen if we don't involve ourselves uh, in God's plan through prayer. You certainly agree there are some things he's going to do whether anybody prays for it or not. You agree with that? Sure. I mean, you could look at I think very specific situations throughout the Bible that were going to occur no matter what, particularly, you know, we have prophecies and God said, this is going to happen. Well, it's going to happen regardless of who's praying for what. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely going to be uh, things. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in the Bible that clearly makes a statement but i think when you put a lot of different passages together you have to come up with the, the categorization of of saying there are two different things or two different categories of items you could pray for ones that aren't going to change anything regardless how you pray and then ones that god reserves and says i guess well if they pray for this i'll give it to them and i and, and of course he knows whether we're going to or not so how does that all factor in and I'm really not sure, you know, obviously he's able to foresee everything that we're going to pray for, or not pray for. Um, and maybe he factors that into the prophecies, you know, well, I know my servant so-and-so is going to pray for me to do this so I can prophesize for it and say it's going to happen. And then he's going to pray for it. And it will happen. Yeah. 
course, that's a whole new podcast, The Nature of Prophecy. Uh, does God see it coming and tell us about it, or does he tell us about it and then make it happen, or is it both? My proposition would be that it's both, but uh, in any case, let me give an example of what you just described. So Hezekiah prayed that he might live, and God let him live. We, we should assume that if he had not prayed for an extension in his life, he would not have continued to live. So that would be something that it seems to be optional based upon the prayers of the individual. Um, Daniel praying for his people to return out of captivity. Yeah, it's a little different, right? God had prophesied through, I think it was Jeremiah, 70 years, you know, and they'll, and they'll be back. And Daniel read in those prophecies and realized what was happening. And so he's praying for something that is going to happen, you know, um, presumably when John said, you know, even so come Lord Jesus, you know, he's praying for the coming of Christ and we are to pray thy kingdom come. Well, it's coming, right? <laughs> but we're praying for something that is sure. Uh, and so maybe I could say that the idea that God's going to do something, some of his works, he's going to do whether anybody cooperates with him or not, he's, whether anybody prays or not, that's a hypothetical or a theoretical statement, but I don't believe it actually happens. I believe God lays burdens on the hearts of his people and has us praying for those things that he determines to accomplish. Um, when he pours out his wrath upon the earth, it's an answer to the prayers of the saints of all time. Um, so I believe he has burdened his saints with those prayers, and then he answers those prayers. Obviously, I'm delving into the nature of God, which is beyond my comprehension. <laughs> but I, I want to know him, and I want to understand him, and I want to... I want to understand prayer better in hopes that it will motivate me to pray more and to pray more in line with, um, you know, the spirits leading. So that's kind of where I'm going here. So prayer is commanded. No doubt about that. We're all commanded to pray. Prayer works. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or accomplish, accomplishes much. That's what James said. But my, my ultimate question is, how does it work and why does it work? So here's a theory that I've heard. See if you can boost this theory or shoot it down. I've heard it said that the purpose of prayer is for our hearts to be changed, not for God's heart to be changed. Have you ever heard that, first of all? And do you agree with it? I have heard it. And I think it's partially true. Uh <laughs> Sort of true, I guess. I would say uh, certainly prayer, part of prayer is aligning your will with God's will, right? Um, I think that's an aspect of prayer for sure. And um, so as you pray and as you seek God and as you um, look to pray for what God wants you praying for, um I think he uses that to direct you and to line up your thoughts with his thoughts. Um, and so I think that's an aspect of it. Um, however, the other side of that is saying, well, that's almost saying that your prayers don't actually affect God. And I don't think that's the case either because, you know, one, why would he have us pray if it didn't affect him in some way? Um, if it was just a pointless exercise that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I think there's, 
you know, I mean, basically, you would, if you said that, you would have to say that he doesn't do things based upon your prayers. And that just seems to speak contrary to what Scripture says, uh, because he does. So, yeah. so partly true, I would say, and partly maybe a little misleading. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the scripture says, I think it's uh, the apostle John who wrote, if we ask anything in agreement with his will, then he hears us. And we know, he said, that if he hears us, we have the petition that we ask of him. Um, so an example in the scripture, and I know some theologians would say, well, this is uh, what do they call it, the big word, an anthropomorphism. This is God revealing himself to us in a way that's uh, palatable to us. Okay, uh, so take that with a grain of salt as I give you this this brief account. But, you know, when Moses changes his mind, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's where I'm going with this. So right. when Moses uh, goes to God about the people of Israel, really, God came to Moses, I guess, and said, hey, I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. Everybody, you know, who's familiar with the scriptures knows that story. And Moses begins to plead for the people, right? And in that context, you know, you do have God describing himself as repenting, obviously not apologizing for having done, done something wrong, but presenting himself from one perspective, I'm going to destroy, and then the prayer of Moses, and then he says, okay, I won't destroy, right? So that doesn't seem to be related to the change of, of Moses's heart. You know, it seems to be related to the change of the heart of God in that moment. So I don't know. There's just something about that description that has left me feeling a little hollow. That prayer is about me being adjusted, not God being adjusted. I know it's true from a certain standpoint because God is perfect. He never needs to be adjusted. But if my heart's in the right place, he hears my prayer. If my heart's in the, in the wrong place, you know, if I regard iniquity in, the, in my heart, the, the Lord will not hear me. I think it was David that said that. So if my heart's not in the right place, you know, he's saying, yeah, let's start over. <laughs> you know, it, it's not accomplishing anything. So I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting way to put it. Well, and, and why, why did God put it in the scripture like that? You know, I mean, obviously he, he had a reason uh, for writing for having Moses write that down uh, and for us to see that. And while we know God doesn't have to change his mind, because if you know everything and how everything's going to happen already, and you've already planned it all to be that way, that's hard for us to understand. But obviously he's trying to get something across to us that uh, your prayers matter and it does affect me, you know, how exactly it does. And, how all that works is probably way beyond any of us, any of our understandings or being able to understand it. But he put it in the scripture that way, I think, for a reason. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's just if we're just writing it off as though, well, that's just something so that we can uh, try to, um, you know, God showing us in a way that we can understand. I think it is, but it's not a way that, uh, I think the way it gets written off by some of the theologians, if that makes sense, they will, uh, you know, try to say, yeah, but God never changes his mind. Everything's predetermined. And that prayer really was just, he, he was never actually going to destroy him. Right. I think he was, yeah. <laughs> he said he was that would, then you're calling him a liar, right? He said right. he was going to destroy him. Right. <laughs> 
So either God lied or God actually changed his mind somehow right. in some shape or form. Yeah. Or changed his demeanor at the very least. You know, it's one Something. thing to talk about. Yeah. It's one thing to talk about God's knowledge. It's another thing to talk about God's emotion. You know, when he says, I wish I had never made man, that seems to be, uh, you know, a, a description of how he feels, not what he knew, um, because, you know, he knows all things from all time. That's an important theological difference to me as well that I, I keep going back to. Some people believe that because God knows everything and has known everything from uh, from eternity past, that everything can be blamed on him, right? It's, it's kind of a, a rough way to say it. But knowledge to me does not equal culpability. I believe that God made us uh, in his image with true freedom. And uh, I certainly agree with the Calvinist that without his help, we would always use our freedom for evil. I definitely agree with that. Um, but, you know, once the spirit lives in us, um, man, that creativity that is in God now fostered by the spirit in us and influenced by our love for him and his love for us. I said that backwards, his love for us and our love for him. I think that's an important aspect of prayer. Just because he knows something doesn't mean he's the one that's responsible. Some people don't agree with that, but I think that's an important dis distinction. So since our title was Why Pray When You Can Worry, what's the difference between worrying and praying? Some might think, well, there's no reason you would get those confused, but I believe I do get them confused. Well, I think uh, prayer uh, shows your faith and worry shows a lack of faith, mm -hmm. right? Because, um, I mean, I think that's really, to me, one of the main reasons God wants us to pray. I mean, besides, of course, having a relationship with him, but it's it shows that we have faith that he's going to answer our prayers, right? Uh, we pray, at least we're supposed to pray in a way that we believe it's already going to happen, you know? Yeah. And, um, and if we don't, then, well, we can't expect that it is going to happen. <laughs> right. Uh, so if we're praying without faith, and anxiety and worry is really just the opposite of that, right? Because what we're saying is, God, we don't, I don't trust that you're going to take care of me. I don't trust that you're going to listen to me. I don't trust that, you know, we could go on and on and on, but it's really that you're, there's a lack of faith uh, and a lack of uh, putting your life into God's hands and allowing him uh, to do what's best. And um, that shows up as we worry. Um, yeah. And so if we had perfect faith all the time, then I don't think we'd ever have worried at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we don't, <laughs> at least I don't, maybe somebody on here listening to this does, but <laughs> I, I certainly have times when I work. So, <laughs> right. um, but that, that's why I think the uh, difference is. So we ask God in prayer, uh, we ask in agreement with his will, and we ask in faith. Those are key qualities of prayer. If any of those things are missing, then it's not biblical prayers. Not We shouldn't expect that there would be an answer. And the Bible actually says that. If you ask without faith, don't think you're going to get what you're asking for. Um, but di the direction of it is, is really important. I've been in some prayer meetings where it felt like a bunch of people saying, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm worried about. And then... Who, who are we going to have speak for us telling God what we're all worried about? Right? 
And so then they speak right. and they say, Lord, we're worried about all this stuff, you know. And I don't know. Uh, it didn't seem to have worship involved. It didn't many times even seem to have a lot of faith. And, and speaking of my own prayers, you know, I always throw in all these qualifiers. You know, here's a person with a problem. Uh, you know, please help them. But if you choose not to, that's that's cool, too, which I know there's a place for that. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Right. But Elijah didn't say, Lord, send fire. But if you don't want to send fire, you don't have to. That's not what he said. <laughs> Lord, send fire. Right. So there, there seems to be a difference, a place for those caveats or those when we don't know what God's going to do. You know, the three Hebrew children, they weren't really praying, but they said, um, you know, God can deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Right. They had faith. If he chooses not to, we're still not going to bow which still demonstrates great faith in God. Um, it's just kind of a little different angle, but yeah, I have a problem with worrying. Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is I worry too much. Uh, I have a problem with praying. And by that, I mean, I don't pray enough. Right. So they're going in opposite directions. Seems like those two are linked together pretty closely. They really are. <laughs> They really are. One is the work of the flesh and one is the work of the spirit. So you can have the exact same problem. And one is I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to send my hands. I have to depend on me to get this done. I saw something today that said, uh, God can do more with you, with your surrender than he, than you can with your control. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. God can do more with your surrender than you can do with your control. Uh, so worry is me saying, okay, I got to figure this out. This all depends on me, right? And prayer is, it all depends on you. I got to do more of that. Prayer is described in the Bible as labor. Paul um, said, hey, I've got this guy here. He's been laboring in prayer, and I've been laboring in prayer. So prayer is work. Why would you describe, would you agree prayer is work, and why is it work? I would describe it as work. I mean, many times when I pray, it, it does feel like work. I thought maybe that's just me, uh, you know, because I have uh, harder issues, I guess, uh, remembering to pray than maybe some do. There's certain people I've met, and it's just like, I don't know, they seem to pray all the time. It just seems natural to them. It doesn't seem like labor to them. But, you know, I guess I'm in the boat with Paul and some of the other guys. It's more, more difficult uh, to do it. Uh, but I guess exercising your faith, Right. I get I didn't even mean to, but I used the word exercise. Right. Exercise is a, a type of labor, you know, and so you're exercising your faith. Uh, and um, sometimes it's hard just to even think about what to say. Right. I mean, you're you're trying to discern the will of God. Well, I wouldn't imagine that should be something that's easy. Right. It's going to take work, you know. Uh, this is God we're talking about. And so if we're if we're if we're praying in a way that we are really trying to discern what God wants us to be talking to him about, what he wants us to be praying for, what he wants us to be doing, uh, then, yeah, I guess it is going to be some hard work to do that. Um, yeah, I think um, just trying to, uh, um, you know, just actually sitting down and saying, I'm not going to worry about these things anymore i'm just going to pray about these things instead um yeah. and making that conscious decision day after day hour after hour minute after minute um you know it can be mentally exhausting i don't know if it's necessarily 
physically exhausting, uh, but sometimes mental exhaustion can turn into a physical type exhaustion as well. But um, I, I would say certainly we're talking about mental exhaustion and mental exertion. That That's, I at least think, what Paul was saying there and and uh, the scriptures are telling us. What, what do you think? There's a ton of reasons why I consider it work. It's always work to focus and put away distractions. And I think prayer requires focus. There's always many other things that I feel like would be more productive from a human standpoint. You know, I, I can spend time in prayer or I can go over there and fix that broken thing, you know, or I can go get that item checked off my checklist. So that makes it work. It takes discipline to, to not go do the, the item on my checklist and instead spend time in prayer with God. I wrote in my prayer journal recently, Lord, you know, I don't talk much and you don't, you know, I don't like talking. So I'm sorry that I don't talk much to you. Well, that's raw. And I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm telling you the truth. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I joke with my wife that if Jesus called me on the phone, I'd be like, Hey, could you text me maybe, or send me an email? You know, uh, I don't mean that of course, but uh, you know, I just, I don't when this, this goes. Okay. The podcast goes away. Okay. I think because it feels like preaching almost, it almost like you're preaching at me and I'm preaching at you. And so it feels pretty good, but just, just talking about whatever comes to mind is, is hard in life for me. Right. Just having a, a social conversation and people who are, you know, social butterflies, they think I'm stupid and mean and all kinds of things, but yeah, I can't help it. It's work. And I think you probably identify with that a little bit yourself. Uh, so that, that goes on in prayer. And then there's the burden aspect of prayer, right? Jesus prayed and, you know, the capillaries in his, in his skin was bursting and he was, he was sweating drops of blood right out of his face because of the intensity of the burden that he was carrying. So I think if we're praying true spiritual prayers, there's an emotional toil. Uh, that's not right. There's an emotional toll that it takes on us. So I think there's, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I think preparation for prayer takes work. Learning what's going on in people's lives and caring about people so that you can pray intelligently and with a, a sincere burden. I think that takes work, uh, just keeping a prayer list. So I think there's a lot of reasons. And I think the devil fights against it. I think that's one of the reasons it's work is because the devil pushes so hard against it because it is very important in God's you know, program for us. Probably some more reasons. Those are the ones that are on my heart. Didn't Paul say, uh, you know, we were just talking about worry. I recall Paul saying some things. It may have been the Corinthian church. I can't remember, but it seemed like he worried about them a lot. But he worried about them through prayer, it seems like. And I'm wondering how that's connected as though worry is okay if we're worrying about it through prayer. Uh, you know, because I, I don't know, maybe Maybe Paul's being honest, and that was actually a problem what he was worrying about, but it didn't sound like the way he described it. It sounded like, you know, I'm worrying about you and all the things that are going on and, you know, praying for you constantly. And so I don't know. It's almost like uh, there is some aspect of worry that seems to have to be tied in in order to be able to pray about something, right? Mm. If there wasn't any worry or anxiety, would you even pray about it? Um, mm. I don't know there wasn't concern. So I just, I'm just not quite sure how that's tied in is that, you know, I mean, the Bible says uh, to cast all your cares on him, well, or your anxieties. And 
that's just assumes obviously that you're going to have those. It's not yeah. necessarily saying that they're, they in and of itself is bad. It's bad when I guess you don't cast them on him. Right. right. So I guess it's inevitable you're going to get them, but uh, you're supposed to immediately cast those uh, to God and not let them sit there and worry you, uh, I guess would be the proper way to describe that. Yeah. It's pretty common in scripture. Maybe, maybe it would be best described as, you know, one of the steps in the sanctification of our prayer as we are authentic and transparent and raw and honest with God and say, this is what's on my heart, right? So we, if you got a complaint, the best one to take it to is the one that can deal with it, right? So you go to God with it. Um, Job did a whole lot of fretting, you know, in his prayers. Tomorrow I'm preaching from Jeremiah 20, you know, and he says, hey, God, you deceived me. You didn't tell me how hard the ministry was going to be, <laughs> but he's being raw and honest. You know, he said, I'm not going to preach your word anymore. You know, that was part of his prayer. Uh, of course, he turned right around and preached anyway. He couldn't help it because the burden was on his heart. But that's an interesting take. You're going to worry. Don't worry by yourself. Take it up to God's throne and say, look what I'm worried about. Help. That might make my prayer life come back to life. So uh, as we wind this thing down, what is the greatest prayer request in your estimation that you've ever had answered? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, the greatest prayer request. Um, well, uh, the greatest, I guess I would say, uh, I'm, I'm going to spin it a little bit, but uh, it's actually was answered in my life, but it was someone who prayed for me. Now, I could list off some things that I prayed for, but I, to me, this is the greatest because I had uh, really, you know, I was saved when I was 20, um, but for a long time, I had turned away from God, and my wife prayed for me all the time to change, and um, uh, it was a while before it happened, but when God did answer it, he just completely changed me. I mean, yes, it seemed did. like overnight. And uh, to me, that's just a miracle that that even happened or that that he did that um, and the way he did it. But I, I think every time uh, also I've prayed for um, someone's salvation and then I see it answered, um, whether it's through me or through someone else, that's uh, always just incredible to see that happen. I don't know. For me, those are usually the greatest uh, changes in people's lives uh, when I pray for those and to actually see those changes. Uh, I can think of some people, similar situations in church, uh, our, our church that I prayed for, and then to see God just change them uh, so dramatically. Those, those are the types of prayers I like to see answered. I mean, you know, I, I can't say I've had a, you know, a calling fire down from heaven type of <laughs> answered prayer that one like that there was another one that actually got answered i was this was a long time ago but i was playing softball for the church and uh i hurt my ankle and um it was pretty bad in fact i could hardly walk on it um i can't remember how i did it was running to first base or something <laughs> and the team we were playing uh was let's just say a little more on the charismatic side than maybe we are. Uh, but they saw that I got hurt and everybody from the bench ran over there and they surrounded me uh, and started praying that my ankle would be healed in the middle of the game, middle of the field. 
I don't know, I'd say 10, 15 seconds went by and my ankle was healed. It uh, didn't hurt at all. I mean, it was gone. It was, it was incredible. Um, I, I honestly didn't even hardly believe it myself when it happened because <laughs> I just thought, yeah. oh, these people, they're, they're a little over the top, you know? <laughs> right. And uh, yep. God answered their prayer. So that's cool. Well, we prayed you? for my, we prayed for my uncle DC all my years as a child uh, nightly. Uh, so that would be five nights a week because we had family devotions every night except Wednesday night and Sunday night because we were in church. Um, and every time we prayed as a family, every time we prayed for our Uncle DC to be saved. And uh, and he was. Two weeks before he died, he received Christ. Uh, so that was a big deal. I've never forgotten that. There have been smaller things, um, but that stick out in my mind praying that God would call you to be a missionary was pretty, pretty uh, outlandish and spectacular in my prayer experience. One of the most pitiful prayers I've ever prayed in my life. And yet God answered it. I basically said, that was not very nice of you to make me pray right here in front of everybody in an odd situation, you know, speaking to God, but here's what I'm asking. Cause this is what you burdened me with. And then he answered it, you know, and that just proves that he doesn't listen to us because he's impressed with how we speak you know, or how great we are. Uh, he has a message that he wants delivered to the throne room in prayer. And, you know, the spirit lays it on our heart and, and we obey the spirit. And the father says, yeah, I'll do that. I wanted to do it anyway. You know, so that one stands out. Um, I prayed for um, a house uh, one time and we, we were able to buy the house. Um, but like you, I, I've never been able to pray and bring down fire from heaven or anything like that. So I pray, <laughs> I pray often for God to speak through me. And uh, if, if anybody knew how chaotic my mind truly is and how depraved I truly am, the fact that God uses me in the pulpit to encourage people to follow him and to love him and to serve him is a massive answer to prayer. And I do pray that prayer often. Lord, please speak through me. Despite my frailties and my flaws, you called me here, so please use me. And I've seen him answer that prayer. I can't even tell you how many times. I'm so thankful for that. So that that's one that I've seen him answer a lot. It's not, that's certainly not a small prayer, but, yeah. um, you know, many times he's spoken through me that I'm just kind of shocked that it happened, you know, or, I, I don't know why I'm shocked that it happened, but it, it's really amazing each time it does happen. And sometimes things come out and I'm just like, where did that come from? You know, yeah. it wasn't anything I prepared or was planning on saying. And then somebody comes up afterwards. You just have no idea what, what God said to me through that. And I'm like, and I didn't even mean to say that, <laughs> but, but God did. So yep. that's cool. So not a major question, just a curiosity. It might, uh, give ideas to some of the listeners. Do you keep a prayer journal or have you ever uh, done that? What do you think of prayer journals? Uh, I have. Uh, I don't do it. I'm not doing it currently. Um, many times I've used, um, you know, I like computers. And so a lot of times uh, I've used uh, some software that I have, which is the same software I use to prepare sermons in. And I've used that in order to basically just keep a list of things that need to be prayed for that have come up. But, 
you know, most of the time now with email, I get, I'm on the prayer chain for the, uh, for our church's email. And so a lot of times I just, uh, they come from Dorothy. So I just search Dorothy <laughs> and, and see, you know, the most recent ones that, uh, most of the time when I see it, I pray right then, but then many times I go back and, uh, pray again, uh, for the, the people on that list. And so that tends to be the way I use that. And then, um, but I think prayer journals are a good idea. It, I think it depends on your personality and, you know, the way you like to organize things. You know, I think there's a, there's value to planning ahead or getting organized fashion, but there's also value to, um, you know, just uh, speaking whatever's on your heart at the time as well. But if your memory is like mine, sometimes you need a, <laughs> you need a reminder about who needs prayer and what we should be praying about. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a prayer. I haven't used a journal. I haven't journaled in prayer for quite a few years. My wife bought me a, a new one this year and I've been using it this year. It's very helpful to me in that it's a, it's a structure that reminds me I'm a forgetful person. I have good intentions and you know about the road to hell. So it, it's a structure that helps me, reminds me to do uh, what I know I should be doing. I do enjoy it. Whereas verbal prayer it very seldom do I enjoy verbal prayer. I mean, I, I have at times, uh, but it's, it's labor mostly for me, but I do enjoy uh, to some extent journaling. I find that I, I'm more specific when I'm writing it down. I'm not just wordy. I'm not just saying stuff to fill time uh, or to make, to soothe my conscience or, you know, make myself feel better. I'm more raw and honest with God when I got a pen in my hand. Um, so I, I definitely re recommend journaling if you're struggling in prayer. Uh, I think the book of Psalms is a prayer journal. <laughs> That's what I think it is. It, it's a list of prayers that, you know, were prayed by, by great men of old. And that kind of brings up another question. What do you think of using prayers written by others? That's actually coming in vogue uh, right now. I've noticed uh, through some Bible software that there's these suggested prayers that you can just kind of, you know, grab and, and read through and pray out loud. Uh, what do you think about using the prayers of others? I don't know if I've ever thought about that before until this moment in time, but okay. uh, I guess I would say, you know, if you read someone else's prayer and it's uh, speaks to what you have concerns about, or you have burdens for, then by all means, there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly uh, the Bible tells us, you know, to pray his word. So, you know, that's, a, that would be an example, praying back scripture to God. Um, so you know, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with, I think, I think it might be a problem if that's all you did. Um, if the only thing you did was pray other people's prayers, but um, certainly I think if they're, you're struggling or you, or you come across one and it's, uh, you know, really something that's a burden in you, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. You know, Jesus warned against vain repetition. So just soothing our conscience by reading some or, or quoting some memorized prayer, you know, like a rosary or something uh, would mean nothing. I like to, to pray the Lord's prayer a lot, um, but sometimes I'm just repeating it <laughs> and sometimes I'm praying it. So I know that there are particular dangers, temptations, I guess I could say, 
that come along with with reading you know someone else's prayer to god um i don't know i feel more eloquent when i'm praying a psalm or something but i know better you know god's not hearing me for my eloquence so you know a lot of times it's a matter of saying amen you know somebody else is praying which paul talked about that in corinthians and we hear the person praying and we identify with it right and we say amen hey what he said i agree with that um right and there's a place for that you know where we pray corporately and uh, god has a specific uh, appreciation for his children get his children getting together about the same thing in prayer here's a good question i think that needs to be answered are there unique traits that we should embrace when contrasting private prayer and corporate prayer uh, or public prayer? Um, take, for example, Jesus said, uh, you know, go get in your closet and pray, right? But he also said that we were to gather for prayer. And uh, there's certainly many good examples of people standing, like Solomon standing up before the whole nation and leading the whole nation in, in prayer. Are there, are there differences, unique traits that we should embrace in each of these cases? Anything stands out? I'm not sure what you mean. Rephrase that question. <laughs> okay, so like if I'm praying by myself, I do not sound the same as I do on Sunday morning when I'm praying at the end of my sermon. I mean, it's just not, there's almost nothing similar. It's me and it's God. That's about all that's similar. Right. There's a there's this formality and and these churchy words that creep into public prayer you know is that is that a problem you know do we need to avoid that kind of stuff uh, i see what you're saying well i think uh i think we need to be careful because uh certainly jesus condemned the pharisees for you know while they were praying in public and making a big show out of it and trying to look important and their reason for doing it so i guess i would say the reason that you're doing that matters um, you know, if we're doing it to make ourselves look important or to get some sort of notoriety or credit for our prayers, or we're trying to show off or whatever that may be, then, um, then I would say under those circumstances, yeah, that, I think that could be a problem, but certainly you're going to pray. You're probably going to pray differently. I would think, at least I do when I pray publicly versus praying, you know, between god right i mean there's at least we're going to say different things for sure because uh you're probably not going to say all the same things in a public prayer that i might say in a private prayer right <laughs> lord i'd like to kill uh, that know, guy certainly, uh, <laughs> gonna withhold maybe some some facts that other people don't need to know uh yes. but <clears throat> uh so yeah i think there's gonna be differences that's just the nature of that you know what just even being in a public group of a larger group of people you're going to talk a little bit differently to some degree than you are one-on-one -on -one with somebody um but i yeah i think we have to be cautious though about you know what jesus condemned the pharisees for yeah yeah well and that kind of leads me to uh, the question why did solomon and jesus seem to discourage long prayers uh, if my public prayers are longer than my private prayers, that could be an indication of a problem, I think. <laughs> uh, I may be praying to be heard of men. I may be praying to impress people. And Jesus is very clear. 
if you're praying to be heard of men, don't, don't you dare think my father's going to listen to your prayer and give you what you're, you're asking for. Cause that's really not what you're after. Anyway, you're getting what you're after. You're impressing people. And that's it. That's all you're going to get. Jesus was very plain about that. I can answer part of the question why Solomon discouraged long prayers. Cause he actually says it. He says, the more you say, the more chances are you're going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> so just make your words few, right? And I think he he's, I believe he's referring to the tendency of us to strike deals with God in prayer and to vow, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. And of course, Solomon and Jesus both discourages that strongly. So that might be why uh, I've used it as an excuse to feel better about myself. I'll admit that. Like, hey, Solomon and Jesus said, don't pray too long. You know, so I'm with you on that one. I'm going to pray too long here. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure that's really the purpose of, of uh, why they said that. Do you have any uh, perspective on why Solomon and Jesus seem to discourage long prayers? I mean, Jesus did it by word. I mean, he's like, you know, people think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. <clears throat> Wrong. The uh, We don't know exactly what was going on in the culture there at the time, but uh, I'm sure there was something that was happening that, um, you know, I, let me put it this way. I've heard some long-winded people talk before, and they're not talking about anything. You know, they're just talking to talk. Um, and I think that's kind of what what Jesus was saying there. Don't just talk to talk, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you got something important to say, and if you've got hours of important stuff to say, then by all means, spend hours of talking to God about that. But don't just, uh, you know, repeat the same thing over and over again. I mean, for example, what, what do you think? God didn't hear you the first time. I mean, right. like he's, he's hard of hearing. He, maybe he didn't, maybe he was busy at the time or something. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're thinking, but it's like, not saying we should never repeat anything, but it just doesn't make any sense. Just repeat it over and over and over again. Right. Um, and I, I just think it's that long windedness of, uh, it's not needed. It's not necessary. And um, maybe it demonstrates, uh, you know, a lack of faith also, or it could, depending on why you're, you know, saying something or beating around the bush or not getting right. to the point with God. So I, I guess those are some aspects I can think of, of why Jesus might've, uh, might've said that. But I think a lot of it also is what, what was going on with the Pharisees. Um, I, I, to me, it all comes back to why you're doing it. You know, right. if you're doing it for the right reasons uh, and you're doing it in faith, then it's fine, I, I think. But if you're doing yeah. it for notoriety, you're doing it because you're hesitant in faith or what lack of faith or whatever it may be, then that's where I think there's a, an issue. Yeah, I've heard um, and read mostly of men who prayed for extremely long times. And I don't know, there were times when I read it and I thought it almost feels like you expect me to be impressed with how long you prayed. That can't be good. Uh, and as far as experientially, I have seen long prayers destroy prayer meetings. In other words, there was a routine prayer meeting and some people just habitually prayed 20, 25 minutes at a time and people quit coming. They're like, I'm not going to come and listen to this guy say the same thing, you know, every week for the rest of my life. And when he, a lot of it doesn't even matter. Doesn't even make sense. Half of it. I'm not going to listen to that. And I've seen it destroy prayer meetings. So I think we have to be conscientious about giving other people a turn, right? 
uh, to speak. If Jesus actually right. came to our service, I'm not going to shake his hand and spend all the time that he's there talking to him. I'm going to share his presence with others so they can talk to him too. You know, so I think that might be an oversimplification, but in a corporate meeting, that, that seems to make sense. Give other people a chance to speak to the Lord. Well, and you, you bring up prayer meetings. I think we should talk about that. We got a couple minutes here because I don't know. I've got a, I've got some things that bother me about prayer meetings I've been to. So I'm just going to get them off my chest here so people can hear it. Me but too, but you go I don't first. Know how many prayer me- <laughs> All right. I don't know how many prayer meetings I've sat through. And it, I mean, it's almost every one. I'm not, uh, so I, I want to be cautious how I say this. I, I don't want anybody to think that we shouldn't be praying for people who are sick and people who have, um, you know, things that need healing and, and, and along those lines. But every prayer meeting I go to, that's all that we pray about. Yeah. Um, it's so-and-so is sick, they need prayer. So-and-so is traveling, they need prayer for traveling mercy. So-and-so is, uh, you know, got cancer, pray for them. And that that's the, the extent of our prayer meetings. And I think if that's the extent of what we're praying about, there's an issue. <laughs> Besides the fact that many times the way it works is, Everybody goes around the room, they talk about the things that they're concerned about, and they want someone else to pray for them. Well, why didn't you just pray for it when you spent the time talking about it to begin yes. with? I mean, we could, yes. one, we could have saved a lot of time and be a whole lot more efficient instead of me got to hear it twice, you yeah. know, just, just thinking about corporate prayer and just the way it's done. It's just, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but my goodness, it just seems it, it, it's, you want to talk about labor. That's where I feel like there's serious labor going on to sit through one of these prayer meetings, <laughs> prayer meetings when everybody's basically, it feels like a pity party is what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. Well, I've got this problem and I've got this problem and I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but if that's all we're coming to God for is, you know, I almost feel like we're rubbing the genie in the bottle or something, right. you know, um, because 95% of the time, at least those prayer meetings I've been to, those prayers aren't answered. Yeah. Um, the person's still sick the day after that, you know, and so obviously we're not praying in God's will. If we were, these prayers would all been answered. Um, so we're spending a lot of time praying about things that aren't in God's will. And, um, I think we've got to spend more time discerning what that is. Um, and maybe being a little more cautious about what we're praying for and why we're praying for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Bible says bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But if you look at the things that are listed as burdens in the scriptures, the fact that someone is sick or injured is not the primary theme in scripture. It's there, but it's not the primary thing that people go and talk to God about, and it's recorded in the scriptures. So if we look at the prayers of Solomon, prayers of David, the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of Paul, yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things that gets under my skin is, when you go to a prayer meeting and there's 50 minutes of prayer requests and five minutes of prayer. Right. You know, and, and, but I think your solution is a good one rather than going through it twice to making sure everybody writes it down fine. Uh, so that, you know, we can now pray for it as it was just repeated to us correctly, which I'm not saying the, the desire is not noble uh, to some extent, but yeah, I think if you have a burden, stand and pray for it, you know, one at a time. And uh, we will all say amen and pray with you. You know, you can take notes while somebody else prays so that you can pray later. 
I think that's a great solution. That brings me to the last question for sure. And I don't know what, I may have said something else for the last question, but this is the real one. Jesus called the temple a house of prayer. You've made my father's house, which is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. He called it a house of prayer. Why not house of worship or house of service or house of fellowship? We use some of those terms now. We're going we're gonna to go to the house of worship. Uh, we, we actually use that, that kind, of ter- kind of terminology. Are our churches houses of prayer? Is Grace Baptist Church a house of prayer? And if not, how do we get it to be? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the building, okay? I'm not that shallow. Right. I'm talking about as a group of people who follow Christ, are we a praying people? Are we a house of prayer? Is that our default setting? So I'm going to answer that question uh, a little indirectly. Look at how the, I'm going to call it agenda, for lack of better words, the, the worship service schedule is laid out. How much time is spent for specific things? And generally speaking, oh, without fail, almost everyone I've been to, I would say they're all very similar to Grace Baptist Church. You have, um, you know, you start off with some singing that we would call the worship part of the service. Uh, and again, I'm using these terms loosely, uh, but we, we it's usually labeled as the worship section. That's like 20 minutes to 25 minutes. Some are only 15, somewhere in that area. And then uh, prayer is usually right in the very beginning for like 30 seconds. And then there's sometimes another prayer right before the sermon would start. Announcements are, of course, mixed in there somewhere. And then the sermon is usually 30 to 45 minutes long. And then usually it ends with another one minute, maybe two minute prayer. But maybe the most is like three or four, you know. So I guess when you look at percentage time of time actually spent in prayer um, on a regular Sunday morning worship service, it's like 1% or something of the service, 2%, I don't know, somewhere like that. And then some churches have, you know, what they call separate prayer meetings that they have. Sometimes they have them Sunday nights, sometimes they have them on Wednesdays, but typically they're the least attended event of all yes. the all the services during the yes. week is the, the prayers, prayer one. Uh, and then many times it's not dedicated to just prayer. They call it the prayer meeting. They pray for like 10 minutes, maybe 15 or 20 in the beginning, and then there's another message right? That's a half an hour, whatever it may be. Um, so we actually don't, I'm not aware of hardly any that have a dedicated service where you come in for an hour and it's just prayer. Uh, and if you did, you probably hardly have anybody show up. So I guess to answer the question, as far as corporately, are we a people of prayer? Probably not. Yeah. Um, individually, I think that of course depends on the person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to add to that. Um, I, I agree. And I think it's an indictment on us. I think we don't believe that it matters. Like the scripture tells us it matters. And I think I'm guilty as well. Um, Vern Tuttle was a music director at Bethel Baptist church where I surrendered to preach. And he was a man of prayer. One of the things that stood out to me with brother Vern, uh, if you if he if he asks you hey how's it going, and you say oh man I pulled my pulled a muscle on my back yesterday but other than that it's doing pretty good. Immediately he would lay his hand on your shoulder and he'd say let's pray, 
he would pray for whatever it was, whatever burden you just shared with him, he would pray with you right there. It didn't take that long, but he prayed with everybody about everything. And it was, he didn't come across as trying to present himself as some super spiritual person. It was like, he cared about your, your deals, whatever they were. And he believed that God cared too, and that God wanted to hear about it. And so he did, he never said, well, I'll pray for that for you. Okay. Which, you know, how many times have we said to somebody, I'll pray for you. And then we never remember to do it. He did it right then, right there. I think that would be a, a marvelous habit for all of us to try to implement into our life, to pause for prayer with people right when they're, you know, right when they're, they're sharing their burdens or their blessings. I mean, just as well as going to God and saying, you know, help brother Patrick here as he travels, we can praise God for the things that he's doing. You know, we need to take those things to him as well. That's a big aspect of what's missing in many corporate prayer meetings is the praises, right? I mean, uh, the prayers of God's people in the Bible are recorded with praises all throughout. And that's, Mm. that's really the majority. I think there's a heavier weight on that than there is on the concerns. And so I think, you know, if our prayer meetings were filled with God's praises Mm -hmm. and certainly concerns as well, one, to me, it would be a whole lot more encouraging going to those meetings, uh, not quite so depressing of just, you know, sitting through everybody's concerns for however long it takes, but I think it would glorify God uh, certainly more as well. And uh, because we really should be, I think we should be praising him before we start, you know, telling him about how miserable we are. <laughs> uh, and all the good things he's done for us. So. so if we turn the title around, why pray when you can worry, and we say it the way everybody expects, why worry when you can pray, we're implying something we don't need to imply because we could go the positive side too, right? Why celebrate when you can praise, right? Why worry when you can pray? Why celebrate when you can praise? It's one step better. It actually accomplishes something for an eternal purpose. And as you said that, it reminded me of Jack Reed, who's in heaven now. People always said, oh, I love to hear Jack Reed pray. Well, I love Brother Jack. And Brother Jack was a great man of God. But Jack was not an eloquent man. No offense to anybody who loves Jack Reed. But he always was praising God. That's the reason people love to hear Jack pray. Because without exception, he was expressing great love and adoration for God. And Lord, we just want to praise you for who you are and what you've done. You know, and those kinds of things were always coming out of his mouth. And that makes sense. And as you said that, I thought, man, there are a lot of Psalms, which are prayers, that are nothing but praise. The entire Psalm is praise. And I wonder, Patrick, if I have ever one time prayed a prayer to God that was only praise. I don't know if I've ever done it. Maybe in a Thanksgiving service, maybe I've come close, right? Because we specifically say, save your, you know, save your prayer requests for next week. Tonight, we're just going to share what we're grateful for. So, mm. praise ye the Lord. Well, thanks for spending some time with me this Saturday night as we're recording this. It's Saturday evening. Tomorrow's Mother's Day. Uh, bless you and your family as y'all continue to uh, do your thing down there in Tennessee and going to Kentucky next, I believe. Uh, I want us to close in prayer and I'll pray for us here at the end of the podcast here today. 
But before I pray to all of you out there listening on the various podcast platforms, be sure to let others know about this podcast and listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And happy Mother's Day to you who are mothers. All right, let's pray. Lord, after this analysis and discussion of the nature of prayer, I'm all too aware of my habits. I want to say thank you for inviting us to bring our burdens and to bring our worship. The fact that you are willing to listen to us, that you want to hear from us, is uh, unfathomably gracious of you. And I ask that you would help me to appreciate the privilege of prayer and to take some of these principles and biblical uh, truths that we've reviewed here tonight and integrate them into my prayer life. You said to pray without ceasing and to pray always and in everything and for everything and for everybody. Help me to do that. Stop worrying and relying on myself and depending on what I can do to get things done. Help me to be a praying pastor, praying father, praying husband, a praying Christian. And that the sheep in this flock here in Herlock would become a praying people. That you would hear our prayers and answer based upon your promises and your character. We certainly can't depend on ours. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Next week on our program, hopefully, Jason McConnell. I've invited him. He said yes. So we'll see. Jason McConnell, brand new in the ministry. We, uh, we got to pick like the hardest topic that we can possibly think of for him. Yes. <laughs> well, in my mind, I want him to talk about uh, his vision and burden and dream and where he sees God taking him um, because he hasn't been there yet. So I'm really excited about the discussion with Jason. Y'all make sure you tune in next week and happy Mother's Day again. See y'all. Thank you.